thank you, Tim, for the introduction, and also, also thank you for Peter for all the beginning the session. And uh, I'd like before I start, I'd like to especially thank our communication team. That's Ila Thompson and Rachel Bowen, and also Mark over there. And uh, they have done tremendous, wonderful work days after night, and that's for several months preparation. So we can have sit here and have these lectures. Uh, I'm extremely honored to be standing here representing the National Center for Computer Animation to give the talk on how technology is changing the landscape of computer animation. So people were wondering how animation works, how computer animation works, particularly when we see uh, downstairs. So our graduates, they create wonderful pictures and nice stories. I would like to quote a word from John Lester. So that's he's the, uh, he was the creative director of the Pixel and the Disney Animation Studio. And he said that to let the animation fly, so we need to have the art that challenges technology. And also, we need the technology inspires art. So how the technology have developed long journey through centuries and inspired the art creation. So going back 2,400 years ago in China, there's a famous philosopher. So he lived in the same, same time as Aristotle in Greece, Greek. So one day, he, he and the tree and had a nap, then he get a dream. He dream he become a butterfly. And fly around, flattering his wing, and he's here and sees us here and just enjoy himself. And suddenly he wake up. He thought, oh my God, I come back, I'm a human being. So he asked he, he says that well now I don't know whether I was the I was the, the man dreaming I was a butterfly or whether I'm now a butterfly dreaming I'm a man. So <laughs> that's a, some dilemma confusion coming from Zhuang Zhou. And then we know that dream actually is not less is no less than real. So it's, it's actually the flip side of our consciousness. So that's our world without physics, without the rules. But the world can throw the constant flow of our imagination and subconscious generated experience and realization as well. So using the animation technologies, we can bring the dream into life. We can see live pictures on screens. We see actions. So in 2010, a film released called Inception. I don't know how many of you have watched the movie Inception. So, yeah. so in this movie, so it's talking about the story. So that our self has a real ability. He can step into people's dream and steal the secret and then changing their life. But then once he's in the, in the dream, 
he would feel in the same situation as Zhuang Zhou. He don't know if I'm in the real life or I'm, st in, I'm staying in a people's life, people's dream. So like in this picture here, so that we, we saw the animation. This all looks so real, but we saw the distortion of the buildings that's going up beyond to the sky. So that's created by the animation. So that's giving people feeling. So it's not a physical world, but it's so real. So that we have to adopt it. That's a real world. So even so, that's the film directed by Christopher Nolan. So Christopher Nolan is a great movie director. And he liked doing lots of shootings that physically, but he also admits that computer animation or visual effects adding a lot to the story narrative. So that help us to telling the stories and that why he used that technologies in his movie lot. So the animation is allowed to mixture the mix the boundary of real and unreal, creating images for human stream. If you rewind the and going back if you do a time travel, if you're going back to the prehistory era, so what would happen? So people that do lots of hunting around, and after the hunting, they probably sit near the campfire, and they want to tell stories. They do dancing, they do the art painting on the wall, and they probably also play some shadow play, telling stories using their hands by cutting shadows on the wall. Then at that time, I don't think there's animation, but people's mind of developing dreams is there. We always have a dream. Then when, people, when, the, when the human being come into the age of civilization, so art is evolving along with the civilization. So in particular, we saw the puppetry theaters that develop around the world through the Europe, come to India, come to China, and also the East Asia. So different type of puppetries that happen to do the telling the story. So I think this is using the object and control the movement, animate them. That's where a sort of ancient animation techniques at that time. And then we also had interesting device called revolving lighting that developed in China at 10, 100 years ago. Um, so the device actually has two layers. So at the inside layer, so that you will see the some inside layer. So that actually have a kind of wheel, so that can be using the hot air to driving the inside inside layers rotating. And we also have the outside layer. So when the inside layer is rotating, we are see the shadows can cast cast on the cast on the Latin and create the nice movement of pictures that bring lots of nice imagination. So this is a, just a quick display show in the Changchi Airport in Singapore. I just put here. So similar ideas has been adopted for the earliest instrument for animation. So that's the Zoetrope developed in 1833, but the first device or prototype has developed in the 1829. So similar idea so that we see that several pictures have been put in, in the inside layer. When people see through the gap, and when we're rotating the inside, 
so we would be able to see the continual movement of the of the picture. So that's sort of early age animation in 19th century. So that to create animation, we actually cheating us cheating our humans' perception. So we know that when we see a things, things are persistent in your in your in your brain. So that's if you show quick moving images one by one, but if you move the in a fastest in that speed, so that you will see the continual movement of the of you will percept is a continual movement of things. So that's the that same idea or or the same concept have been used in the development of so called Pyrograph in eighteen sixty eight. So now we call it flip books so that children would play with that so that you can join it when you're having your lectures, you'll probably join down there and doing things. So that by flipping the images and trying to carefully allay your allay your characters what you're drawing to make that move just slightly incrementally frame by frame and then you can see that continual movement. So by the end of the nineteenth century, so that we see that uh, Edward Marbridge, so who who is a genius at that time, he has inventively developed a techniques that can capture the um, capture the image using multiple cameras. So you see this image, so that that looks like a film from a film, but actually they're captured by using multiple cameras. So he can synchronize the uh, capture of the image using multiple cam cameras, so that he can result in a sequence or movement image. So this is like the foundation of the film, so that we see the film actually start evolving in the 20th century. So in the early film making, a part of using the live actors like humans, etc. So that we all we also using animation techniques. But at that time, what we use called stop motion. So what we create, we can create a film that's by just taking still images. So if you think about using a mini matrix, if you use a model, so if we put place the model in a particular pose, take a picture, that back, and then move the, the move these sort of models to rig it in a different pose, slightly different, uh, but quite similar to the previous one, and then step back, take another picture. So doing that one by one, so we can have a collection of Films, collection of images, and playing this image in a preset order, so we can result in the a continuous motion. So it's taking hours to taking twenty images for the stop motion, but the effort is worth. So the people can see the live images on screen. So you see, you see that the dinosaur can fight with each other in the lost world that animated in nineteen twenty-five. So now we're talking about animation, but for we wouldn't forget to mention Walt Disney. So that the company set up in 1923. But unless they, hit, they create the so-called Snow White and Seven Dwarfs, that brings them a great success. So they become so world famous, and they get loads of they get they get loads of cash to invest into new technologies as well. So instead of let me to talking to you about how Disney is doing the innovation. I would like to just let you, I would like to just play out.
uh, movie. So that's a documentary created actually by Disney. So that shows how they actually work out with their lives, how they're using the technologies at that time. From Hollywood comes the most exciting motion picture news of 1938. Walt Disney has completed and released his first full-length feature production, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, in Technicolor the most daring adventure in screen entertainment since the birth of the motion picture. And its credit titles, longest in cinema history, flash across the nation's screens. Audiences, for the first time, realize the tremendous amount of manpower required for the production of this epoch-making animated picture. The entirely new form of storytelling that already has captivated every man, woman, and child who has seen it. Just how was Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs created? And how are the famous Disney short films made? To give you the answer, we take you behind the closed doors of the famed Walt Disney Studio in Hollywood. Doors usually barred to all visitors. During the past three years, the studio staff has grown from less than 300 to more than 700 artists and musicians. They worked in shifts, night and day, to complete this unique experiment in entertainment. Remember as a kid how you made your own movies by drawing little figures on the pages of a pad and flipping the pages to make the figures move? That's the basic principle behind animated pictures today. But that's not all there is to it. First, you need a story. Thinking up funny stories is the job of Walt Disney's writers, gag men, and sketch artists. After much trial and error, several hundred rough drawings illustrating the high points of each story are completed. Let's follow the story into conference where Walt Disney and his hard-boiled directors look it over. Not a picture, long or short, goes into production without Walt's personal okay. Next, a director whips the script and dialogue into final form. Then he calls in his assistants, including his musical composer, and plans the score of the picture, timing out each scene carefully. He even acts out every move of the action so that the men who work with him can visualize what the scene will look like on the screen. Now he sets his expert animators to work, the skilled artists who draw every movement in complete detail, just as you will see it in the theater. Each animator's drawing board is lighted from below. He looks through the paper at the character he has previously outlined and draws the next movement in correct position. This clever animator is using a mirror to capture a tricky facial expression like this. Let's move along to the test camera department. Here the animator's rough drawings are photographed in sequence, one at a time. This film is developed and returned to the animator who checks to see how good it is by running it in a small projection machine called a moviola. In this moviola, as the animator runs his film backward and forward, we catch a graceful glimpse of the screen's newest heroine, Snow White herself. Now we're in one of the studio projection rooms, where Walt and his staff study the rough animation of a sequence about the seven lovable little dwarfs. Once they are okayed, the thousands of pencil drawings go to the inking department. Here, hundreds of pretty girls in a comfortable building all their own, well-lighted, <laughs> air-conditioned throughout, cover the drawings with sheets of transparent celluloid. Then they painstakingly trace every line of every drawing in ink, following exactly in every detail the original animation drawing. Now the picture moves into its final stage, color. In the studio paint laboratory, all colors used are made up from secret formulas. Expert chemists develop more than 1,500 different shades of color for Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. 
The ink celluloids next go to the painting department, where more pretty girls apply the final colors on the back. Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs require 250,000 celluloids painted like this one. In another department of the big Disney studio, artists delicately paint the beautiful stage settings for the picture. These backgrounds are done in watercolor. Artists work for months on backgrounds like the interior of the Seven Dwarfs Cottage. But the colossal task isn't finished even yet. The celluloids and backgrounds must still be photographed by the master camera in Technicolor. Here the operator puts a Donald Duck celluloid on top of a background as the overhead camera exposes one frame of film. To photograph Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, this operation had to be repeated more than half a million times. Next, the film passes into the hands of technicians and the sound effects are recorded. symphony orchestra records the musical score, the hit tunes that will thrill listeners the world over. So I think we thinking about this now 80 years past, but actually I think similar principle or similar technologies were adopted in creation or animation. Uh, but in particularly, now we're not using hand painting. We're using computers to do stuff. We not operate on the 2D plane. We're using 3D objects. So we have much more control in the time at what Disney start his adventure. Um, I also like to mention a particular devices invented by what this not Walt Disney, but invented by his colleague called called multi-plane camera. So that was invented by Art Ayak in 1933, so that has been used in the creation of most of Disney cartoons. So what this machine does, so it has several layers. So at each layer, you can place the drawing background or characters, and each layer will be able to move in freely in the plane and also upward, downward. Then the camera is placed at the very, very top and looking downwards. So using this Regards using this setup, so by adjusting the place of different play, so we can have a sort of perception of the 3D. So even everything is drawn in 2D, but when things are moving, so we can get the perception of 3D. So that's a great invention at that time. So now we see that come to the digital age. We saw the computer come to best in 19. 46, if I get it right. Then at the beginning, no one thinks of computer can be used for art creation. At the time, computer has been served the military. Like the first computer has been used in the USA artillery services. Um, so, but when we come to the early 1960, early 1960s, so the scientist has been explored that can we use the computers to visualize data. So that well, at that time, they also create some digital art and animation as well. So for example, uh, in the Bear Lab, Bear, Bear Telephone Lab, so that's um, 
Michael, Michael Noor, so he created us animation of four-dimensional cube. So the projection of a four-dimensional cube in the 3D space and drawing out these lines. So that you can see the animation of the 4D cube rotating. And then the first animated character that generated by computer actually is by a by Soviet Union, so it's not USA, it's a bit surprise for me as well. <laughs> so at that time, so the first create a cat that walks through a, walks through the screen. So at that time I think the computer is so primary, so they don't even have a screen. So they have to print out the cat using paper and then taking pictures using films and then play it as animation. So to match the best of computer animation, I think there's a few people working in this discipline at, at that time and just pioneer the technologies. But we wouldn't say is it 1965 or 1968, this is a bonus, this is the best of computer animation. It's hard to say. Um, but then we'd like to, I would like to mention another breakthrough that's invented by Nestor Butnik and Marcelli Wynn. So they are Canadian scientists. Um, Nestor has tried to think about, now we have a powerful computers, not as powerful as we have now, but at that time they had very powerful computers. So can I use this sort of computer to do art creation? Then he pays a visit to Hollywood. He speak to, he speak to his friends in Disney. And then he found out that in Disney, people there, there has two type of animators. One called principal animators. They do the main creation, they draw the main figures, and they are called in-betweens. So like when the principal animator, they draw some keyframe. So that represents the key pose of character. And then the in-betweenness, we are trying to figure out the in-between to smooth out the animation. So he thought, well, I think the computer can do the job of in-betweenness. He can help out to filling out what the start frame and the end frame. So that he starts his he going back and using one year and program on the computer and then he have invented the first system, first animation system based on keyframe techniques. And now keyframe techniques still are the one of the main technologies used in the computer animation. So at that time, the, he can only play with lines, and there's no really 3D shapes. But to mention the 3D shapes, so we saw that at here, so that we saw the wireframe that created by Ed Catmull and also his colleagues in University of Utah. And also, we saw the first model in the human face at that time. So thinking about all these models created in 1972, isn't it amazing? So at that time, I think people don't even think about to have mouse or this sort of thing. I think the mouse actually invented by Nestor I think, in the 1971 at the same time when he doing the uh, doing the doing his animation system. And also due to Nestor's great achievement, he also been 
awarded for the Oscar in 1996, just after the Toy Story was released, next year after the Toy Story was released. So this is to mark his inventive breakthrough in technology to help us to be able to see the computer-generated animations nowadays. Then we also want to mention a great name, George Lucas. And I bet there's lots of, the, when we're sitting here, there are, there are many fans of Star Wars. So at the time, I think George Lucas also adventures trying to using the computer-generated image in his film production. But this is just a light touch so that we can see that in the New Hope that produced in 1977, so where the, this sort of pitch of attack to the Death Star, so the image actually generated by computer. That's just simply some wireframes, lines, so no, nothing fancy. But let's mark a start of new era that the computer generated image being used in the uh, film production. So at the time for George Lucas, what he used the main technology to create the effect that's still mainly based mainly mainly the so-called stop motion, so that he can articulate the pose of a robot or a miniature and then um, take a picture and then do it again. But what he invented the technology is called the motion blur. So he can composite, overlay several images, and then that allows to create the kind of blur of motion that caused by the things are moving when you see on the picture. So uh, people would criticize that previous motion capture is a bit clean and a bit too, we don't feel the sense of motion. But once we have the motion blur, we can feel the sense of motion. So after the, after the George Lucas start the sort of, we, we will see, start this sort of journey, I think we, we now we've been seeing that many computer technologies have been, wide, have been adopted in the film production, in particular for the viewer effect. So that has been used in lots of movies uh, in 1980, late, uh, late 1980, and also in the beginning of the 1990. Uh, so where the so-called the matte painting has been developed, so where you can paint in the you can paint in the film and create the mix of digital generated content and also the real life video shoot. Um, then we saw the Jurassic Park in 1993, so that's mark a pivotal point, so that we can see a photorealistic character, the computer-generated character, is interacting with real human actors. We also want to mark the quick expansion of the commercial world, so that at that time, so we saw the MPC, the motion, Moving Picture Company was set up in 1974. And then we can see the spin-off of the Pixel in 1986. And also we saw the Dream, DreamWorks has been set up in 1994. And also the later, I think we had Double Negative, another company operating in London, also set in 1998. To talk about the beginning of the computer animated film, we have to mention Pixel. And also, we have to mention a name, Edmure, so that 
who is the guy who has created the first 3D model of computer generated. So at that time, he using triangles to and polygons to present the shape. And then there nowadays, all the most of the computer generated model are presented by triangles as well. So for for Ed, his, he had a dream. He want to be the one who can create the first computer animated film. So he bring his dream when he was doing his PhD in 1970, 1971, 72, in University of Utah. And then he moved to New York the New York Institute of Technology, so where he set up a lab called Computer Graphics Lab. So at that time, he wanted to develop technologies that can use in computers to generate film. And he spent 10 years there, nearly 10 years there, and trying to lobby to the Disney management, say, would you like to buy these technologies? Would you like to try to use computer to generate your animation in Disney. But at that time, I think one way that technology is not mature enough. Another way, I think that Disney management are reluctant to take this take take these risks because they are happy with their current model. So they're happy with the 2D drawing cartoon animation that bring million cash every year. They're wondering why we want to do the change, why we want to buy the expensive computer equipment. And also, for the artists, they're thinking about, would I lose my job if the computer can do more? Actually, I think it's not the, it's not the case. Nowadays, we saw the computer has been widely used for the generation of, compu to, for the generation of computer uh, animation and film. But actually, that creates more jobs than we expected. So there are more featured films going on the big screen every year, so that's not they just worry too much at that time. Then he stayed in the university for nine years and doing lots of wonderful techniques, but he couldn't make a film at that time. Then George Lucas come to approach him, and he said, well, that could be a good opportunity. Then he joined George Lucas, Luca, Lucas film and set up a computer division in the company. So this computer division company then bring out become the Pixel in 1986. And at that time, the Steve Jobs, who, who was the who was the Apple's CEO and bought this company, and he just paid five million, and then later he invest another five million for this company to let the company survive. Um, so the Disney has paid off by has paid back by its by its reluctance to invest in this direction. So that we know that in two thousand seven Disney paid seven point four billion to book Pixel back. So now we have the Pixel and Disney animation studio. Um, so in Pixel I think they have owned lots of Lots of IPs, so like they have the renderman software, so that creates a realistic um, 
materials when we when we want to render things out on screen. So the, the rendering software and all the heavy the animation production. And they have given the motion blur, particle effects, and ray tracing animation editing software, etc. So that's great. And it takes them for nearly 10 years from set up the company to the first release of the computer animated film called Toy Story. So we, that's a mark a new beginning of the world. So after that, we saw the popularities of the animation film and also animation techniques has been used in the film production. I wouldn't name the list. I think that's just would be uh, endless. So even the Toy Story released in 1995, I think the technology actually has been matured much earlier. So that I can show you a small, small short, short movie that's called Teen Boy, that also created by the Pixel. So it's a trailer, it's not the full movie. So if you want to watch the full movie, you can go to the YouTube, I think there. <laughs> just try to get the... But thinking about this is film is produced in 1988. And then it has a nice feature that you can see through the glass and also nice reflection objects. And particularly for this Tim Boys, the painting and reflection of the windows. It's fantastic. That's my favorite part. That's the technologies, I think, at that time. And still, I think there's not much change unless we get more details. We saw more dynamics. We can see nice, uh, nice effect like the clothes, like the hair, etc. But the principles and the basic technologies are already there. So to, to, keep, to give a quick summarize, not to mention what the technology has been developed since, since, since 1960, 1970s, uh, but I'd like to quick summarize in the past 10 years, so what has been doing the change to the computer animation? So for example, I think for data acquisition. So previously, we have to use human hand to measure the coordinate in the 3D space, doing the point by point, 
than to create the 3D model in accurate, accru accurate way. But nowadays, you can have uh, 3D scanning techniques and also motion capture techniques. So that both, one captures the static models in a details, and another one, you can capture the motion and map the motion to a virtual character. So the virtual character will act the same as a human character. Then we saw the boost of processing power. So it's like now we have the using everything in the parallel, so-called parallel computing. So we have the GPUs that can handle the complex texture and also complex uh, simulation. And also we have multi-core CPUs just because a single core is not enough for our life. And also for the algorithm, we saw the complex dynamics and deformation objects and fluid, etc., and retracing. Uh, reflection, ref refraction, and diffraction modeling. And also for the software package, we have Maya, Houdini, professional film production software, and also we have the web engines that can create interactive games. So you would ask me, why, Jian, you come to doing animations? <laughs> so I, I actually inspired at the time, I think, when I was in my high school, so I was watching the film, the Jurassic Park so that you see the dinosaurs, you just feel the visual impact. I thought, wow, that's amazing. I would be good if I can do that, <laughs> how I create this sort of image. But then when I go to my uni, I didn't actually start immediately doing animation. I actually studied uh, mechanics so it's part of physics. So actually, you will see many great technicians working in the animator, animation is study physics. So that I'm come from physics background. So, <laughs> so that's, we saw that. Then that's Professor Zhang, who, who has been China, and he gave a talk, and he's, he mentioned that we have a great, great center in the UK, and we want to have people to join the team. So that's why I come here and start my PhD, and then stay around and start doing, working in the computer animation. So my first inspiration was this, how we be able to use the physics to create animation. So that what we can do with physics so at that time, thinking about 15 years ago, um, it would be difficult to create believable, deformable objects. So we want, we're wondering that because many uh, graphical objects are present by a hollow mesh, so you only have the mesh on the surface, you don't have volume. So when you deform it, it doesn't look right. It's volume loose. So then we have thinking about a way how we be able to preserve the volume so that what the work we developed in um, 15 years ago, uh, and then like how we be able to create a plastic deformation as well, not just elastic ones. So here's a simple example that's created when I was doing my PhD. So that we saw the wobbling of a small plastic, not plastic, I think elastic objects. If you can replace the thing, that when it's hit by a ball, so that you can see the animation that looks so that everything is not hand rigged. So everything is just uh, created by, our com by mathematic formulas <coughs> so that we can replace the sort of tedious work that would be difficult for the human beings and then using the computation to do the job. Um, then recently, I think we also continuous working on the more sophisticated phenomena like fluid. So fluid can be nicely animated and nicely created for many, many years. Recently, we have tried to uh, challenge ourselves with our 
problem. So that how about if you want to mix different fluid? So if you want to mix two type of fluid, give example if you want to do the egg mixing in the kitchen. So when we have the egg yolk, we have the egg white. How how they mix together? So the fluid if we are taking different property, they have different viscosities. How they salute with each other, they might be different. So how we do that? Uh, we are able to represent the fluid volume using many particles. Each particle would cover, carry different attributes, including its color, including its mass, etc. So we would allow to control the change of the in exchange of the attributes that on each particle. Then using the so-called uh, Navier-Stokes equations, by solving these complex equations, we can be able to realize the believable uh, mixing effects. So I'd like to just pass the words part so that we can see the image. So this is a simple experiment so that we done so that like um, in the chemistry so that the the liquid when it's when the solution so that has different solubilities so that the thing would be moving from one phase to another phase. And then of course then we can see that also the dissolution of when we have two different materials that mix two different fluids mixed with each other. So we see the color changing and also when the, when there's when there are different proportions you have to expect different behavior. That you can see that we have several layers. Now we have the total with dissolve of the blue one into the green. So that's kind of a kind of repetition of the true physics or true chemical reactions. Um, so now I come to my quickly move on to my. So the egg mixture, so that we can see that how we be able to create the eggs together. So this work was done by, by a PhD student that I supervised two years ago. And that's been published in the SIGGRAPH Asia, so one of the top conferences in computer graphics. And in the later one, I think that's, I have to rewind a little bit backwards, so sorry about that. I want to show you the last bit. So that when we have multiple phase, so each phase has different uh, densities, so when they mix, mix with each other, so what we would expect. So that we are settled down nicely with different different layers afterwards. I think that's just as we expected. Where some some part some part allow them to be salute, to be mixed with each other, some are not. So that's what we have done. But what will be the future for computer animation? What will bring the change? 
what we are challenging. So if you're thinking about get back to the time of Catmere and in 1971, so at that time, so people are thinking about, we can use computers to do the in-between. Then we realize that computer is introduced that to replace the tedious work that's, so that can release people, to release the human power to do more creative work. So, and also, it will have to enhance the production so that we can create the to, to make it more control so that we can do the simulation rather than doing drawings. So we are aiming for photorealistic looks that we can see nice effects in the in the jungle boy, for example, in the field jungle boy. So we see the nice trees and also the nice fair effects on the animals, etc. And also we want to increase efficiency in production and lower the cost. Um, so I believe we talked about the second one. Even though we'll be able to do things faster, we can do things quicker, but people are de demanding more high-quality visual. So thinking about first Disney movie, not first Disney movie, but the first Disney uh, success, uh, Snow White and uh, Seven Dwarfs just cost them about 1.3 million. And now every good animation film here cost several million. Uh, several several, several, several millions per film. So that would mark up, if you do one minute animation, it costs you about one million pound, one million dollar. Um, so I would put a question mark for, can we really lower the cost? Because we are asking for more photorealistic looking, more high quality image, more complex things. We need to hire more artists or hire more computation, com computer technicians to do the job. And also we want to mark the animation production to make more control. And we also now, we have loads of computer animation assets, computer animation data, the storyboard, um, the animated things, and also the character design, etc. Can we recycle this data? So actually Disney already started their recycling, I think, if you saw that we use the motion designs in previous film and then apply it in a new character and use this sort of thing. And also we're wondering, now we saw things are more intelligent, more smart. I bet that in the next 10 or 20 years, we'll see more intelligence in the animation production system. So you will have your assistance for the directors to telling them where to put the camera, where to put the, where to let the scene act how the virtual character should act. So that would be the AI support for the human, human creation. To realize this challenge, we would rely on a few technologies, so like the computer vision. So previously, we're using 3D scanning, etc. But now, we can take an image like using cameras, taking the real image. So the be able to realize what content in the image, how they're, how they're constructed, then we can reconstruct the whole scene, and then map the styles from one image to a different image that can be, can be done now. But in the future, there'll be more applications. And also for the data-driving dynamics, and recycling the company, that will help us to recycle the computer animation asset. And also we probably want to see the real-time filmmaking, so that's just on the horizon so that people 
the directors traditionally you would expect him to give the artist or give the technicians uh, instruction and waiting for several hours or even days to see the result. But probably we want to see that if you make a decision and then you will see the change immediately. And also we want to see the artificial intelligence will have to contribute. And also nowadays we saw virtual reality and augmented reality that's come into our life. I'll give a quick example of how the AI will be able to use in animation. So that's our work created by one of our previous PhD students. So we know the ants are collect, collect, with, collect things, so they collaborate with each other. So they try to, use, try to move in a one direction and carry things much heavier than their weight. So can the virtual ant do things in that way? How we can create the animation of these ants so that they behave like a real, real ants? So it's be a, be a, it's been difficult for one to carry one thing, but if you get two, then the, if they collaborate in a good way, so they can make things much easier. So when the ants found the object move, so they would follow it, follow the object, try to fetch it. And then they would adjust the position so that they can make a better effort when they're carrying things. So all this ounce movement and also its path direction also created by the, uh, by the machine learning techniques. So that we, to realize that we can have two layers. One layer we call control layer, another layer we call uh, evaluation layer. So once the arms want to play a move, we can simulate the move. We can give us several choice. That could be hundreds or thousand choice. And then we dump that into the Q-value network. So that give us an evaluation and say which would be the most feasible option. And then the fetch back to the control policy. So that we allow the ant to behave as, it's, as it has life. And then that we are always try to optimize its own movement by following a particular strategy. So for the virtuality, we also wondering how this virtuality will bring the change to human life. Would that be more? We want to see that using a more natural interaction. Because if you're thinking about if you wear the helmet, wear the goggles, we want to use in the keyboards. What do we want to use now? I don't think. I think we should throw the keyboards, dump it in the bin, and using the natural gestures, so that you can, like you communicate with a real human. That you're using the eye tracking, the computer will see, perceive where you are seeing at, and what what you are talking about, and what your movement indication, what your gesture indication, so that they create a seamless immersive experience for the users. And also, hopefully, in the future, we would be able to create a believable virtual agents, so that in the virtual world, you would have virtual characters that can be interact with you, telling your story, play with you. Uh, that's just happening. This just scarily is happening scarily. <laughs> and so then, next, I just quickly mention a project what we are doing. So it's called Vista AR. 
So the Vista AI is trying to using digital technology to bring revolution for the heritage sites. So we try to promote more accessibilities of the content, the cultural content that can produce by the heritage sites. So that one way that you can see things you shouldn't you you couldn't achieve before. So for example, we have do the we have making a drone fly above the the cathedral and taking the pictures from the roof. So that now if you wear the goggles so you can see that actually you're flying above of the of the of the cathedral. And also we want to create sort of mixed uh, virtual reality experience. So like the demonstration we saw downstairs so that we can bring a tablet so we can we can see things and display information that related to the content of the sites. So I also have a dream. So I dream that in the future, so the companion animation is not just used for film. It will have more applications in several different fields, including medical industries. So for example, we will see, we will see that virtual surgery, so that we can plan our surgery in a virtual patient and then using the plant techniques to apply the in a real, real patient to help them to recover their health. And we want to see the use of animation in manufacturing and education, retailing, and also tourism. That's exactly as what I'm showing here. So I just hope that's going to happen in the, maybe we're waiting 10 years, 20 years, I don't know. But I think we are happening someday. Thank you all. That's all for my presentation.